everybody, and welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we discuss the week's hottest legal topics. We are in the week before Thanksgiving in 2023, and there is a lot going on. We wish we could pick something, like just one topic, but today we have many. We have the mistrial motion for Trump's civil New York trial that's happening. We have issues in Congress that we're going to touch. We also have the ethics rules that have come out from the Supreme Court, as well as some updates to the 14th Amendment, um, Section 3, that has been going on for trial in Minnesota and Michigan have released decisions, and we are still waiting on Colorado to determine who, if anyone, will actually remove Trump from the ballot. So I'm Virginia Tarani. I am an attorney with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Tell you, you do. do. <laughs> <laughs> and my co-host here is Dr. John Vile, who is the Dean of the Honors College at Middle Tennessee State University. Welcome, Dr. Vile. Good to be here. Okay, so we're going to jump in in just a hot second, but it is the weekly wine. So here's the wine that I am drinking today. It is where I am. It's Maryland. I don't know, Dr. Vile, if it's the same for you, but I walked out literally in my Tarani Law t-shirt and felt fine today. And it's the middle of November, so I have pulled a summer wine out. We're going to continue with our Maryland wines, and I have Misfit Winery watermelon wine today. So we're going to continue to breathe in the last last ode to summer. And Dr. Val, you're there with your water, and cheers to happy hour in this week before Thanksgiving. Oh my gosh, it's like a watermelon Jolly Rancher. That's delicious. I'm going to try not to drink several glasses while we talk today, but our topics might induce it. Okay, so what we have, let's start off um, with Trump because this week we have had a like a 30-page motion that got sent down or, or filed by Trump's attorneys in this New York civil fraud case. And in this document, he's included affidavits, he's included exhibits, and ultimately he is asking for the judge to disqualify himself, but in a different kind of motion. Um, Dr. Vile, what's your take on this motion? You know, I haven't actually read this one. Um, I don't know if it's even available to read. I haven't found it either. Okay. Um, what I was, you know, if you, if you purposely antagonize somebody over an extended period, you probably shouldn't be surprised that they're not going to always wink at you in your direction. Fair. My read this week is that, you know, the judge clearly does not want to be overturned or have mm -hmm. to recuse himself. And I think he opened the door. I mean, he basically opened the door to a two or three hour infomercial on the Trump name and the Trump brand. Oh my goodness. And to have to just sit through that to me, seems like he's making at least the appearance of being favorable. I mean, understand the judge has already made a decision, which is Correct. within his right within this case. They're just arguing right now over what the amount of the damages and the type of damages should be. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems like one of these things that's a little counterproductive. If you know the judge is going to have to make the decision, um, but 
so my guess is that it is primarily for, although we don't have access to it, but it's it's primarily for public consumption rather than in the expectation that anything is actually going to happen. I completely agree. I like the way that you phrased that and described it, especially at the end, because that seems to be what is happening with the trial is it's shock and awe and almost a circus display of, I, I think they're playing to the public. Right. They're not playing to the judge. They're not playing within the court rules necessarily. They're playing for public attention and opinion. And the judge was very clear on that as well is, you know, this is, this is not something you should be doing for public opinion. And the interesting part that you bring up is, is how much there was basically an infomercial. But this week, Donald Trump Jr. took the stand again yeah. um, on the defense side. The defense started their case this week, and he was their first witness. And that's exactly what he did. For about three hours, as I understand it, most of his his commentary or his testimony was more like commentary of, you know, this is fabulous and we're amazing and, you know, the Trump brand is... He kept using one word over and over. Do you remember what the word was? I'm, I'm racking my brain for oh, it. Oh, like spectacular? Yes, or? I think that was yes. it. Yeah. Exactly, where he kept using it over and over as spectacular, spectacular, and everything spectacular. And by the time that um, there was an objection— you know, if you were testifying on behalf of your dad, I'm sure you'd say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough, and that's hilarious. And um, for those of you who haven't picked it up through the, this season, I, Dr. Vile is my dad. Um, and of course, all I would say is you're spectacular. Um, <laughs> that is a really funny take. Um, I don't think many judges would allow me just to continue to say you're spectacular, but this judge did, right? He did. And, and you know, what's, what's fascinating about this is it points ahead and it gives some caution. There's another legal issue here, which is, you know, this this trial is not publicized. Right. And I think there's great fear that particularly in the election interference denial trials, that if they are televised, mm. we will really have sort of a, a sideshow Rather, you know, we'll move out of the realm of law into the realm of public opinion. Right. And, you know, there's going to be some leakage there and people need to know what's what's happening in the courtroom. But given what happened on January the 6th, you know, there is real danger in some, you know, it's it's not quite related. But you may have seen yesterday the, the Democratic National Headquarters, they had to evacuate people out of there. Mm. because of, you know, this was uh, Israel and Hamas, you know, that situation. Sure. But, you know, some of these things, if publicized, if, if publicized and you give, you give too much of a platform for disinformation, uh, you really could result in, you know, that or, and, you know, we have a, a gag order right now being yes. considered in Georgia. Yes. And that involves, you know, leaking as I understand it, affidavits were actually video, videos. videos of the three or, or a couple of three. I think it's four now. Right, who have, you know, turned state's evidence against Trump. And the danger there is that, you know, this 
could invite recriminations against them. I was seeing something yesterday that uh, Senator Romney, who's now retiring, apparently has to spend four to five thousand dollars a day right now for his personal protection. Oh my goodness! And you know, if if that becomes the case with witnesses, uh, this that could really influence a, a trial in a negative fashion. I, yeah, I agree. And for the for this Georgia, it it is quite scary because you know I've been watching it too, and what's happened is that those videos, and I believe it's a four, and especially Chesbro, um, Sidney Powell, and Jenna Ellis, those videos where they are talking to prosecutors, telling them what evidence they have, what information they have, and would testify to, was given by the prosecution to the defense attorneys, the remaining right. defense attorneys, Which as they have part to of share discovery. Inculpatory or exculpatory information. Well, they have to share exculpatory right, information, right, right. which is anything that might tend to, you know, cause innocence to be, right. you know, that might prove them innocent rather than proving them guilty. And in this case, I think it's wise that it's being produced, even if the prosecutors don't think it's exculpatory evidence, because it might be right. right. It, it absolutely could be used. That testimony could be turned, rephrased, questioned by the defense counsel that could be more you know, proactive and and positive for certain defendants. But it was shocking to me when they had this video conference and one of the attorneys for the remaining defendants, one of the Georgia defendants, and I, I you know, I didn't look up the name, I'm afraid, but it wasn't one of the, the top ones and it wasn't Trump. And this man says, you know, before you say anything else, Judge, I have to admit it was me. I, I have to tell you so that I can sleep at night. And I did it, and I thought I was doing it in the best interest of, of the public because I thought they had a right to know, and I thought people needed to know the innocence of my client. And that's when the, you know, that's the discussion of the gag order. And I got to tell you, it, it's almost, to me, an ethical issue where I would not be surprised if the Georgia Bar initiated investigations into this attorney for leaking the videos to the Washington Post. He, even though there's not a gag order, I mean, he, did he do anything illegal or he, he? But you're saying he may have done something unprofessional. Correct. Even if it wasn't illegal. Correct. It's possibly right. depending on the rules of ethics or professional conduct in Georgia, it could violate one of those. At the very least, what you're saying about the possibility of intimidation of witnesses, um, and you know, possible destruction or corruption of evidence, I think that the, it is possible by leaking these videos that there is an intimidation of witnesses. That, look, it's going to be publicized throughout the whole United States right. if I testify against Donald Trump or any of these other witnesses. Right. I don't want to do that. Um, so I think it is a good, a big concern. And one of the other defendants, the, the defendant who spent time in jail was the only one who didn't get bonded out and later did. He has new posts, social media posts about the the poor women at the 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 poor women at the election who were say, you know have been alleged to be tampering still with evidence. Of them. Exactly. Still exactly. Well, I mean, and it's still posting of, you know, how they're fraudsters and how they, you know, well, tampered with he, the evidence. He needs to look at the Dominion case involving Fox News. For defamation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so the prosecutor's office, in addition to seeking the gag order, even on the attorneys, they're now seeking return to jail revocation of bond on this one man because of what he's saying, that he's still intimidating witnesses, that, you know, more people are are getting threatened, more people are feeling threatened. And even, right. you know, Mitt Romney. But we go to, did you see, the scariest thing to me, quite frankly, was the reposting on Truth Social that Donald Trump did regarding the, I believe it was the Attorney General, um, Letitia Jones, as well as Jack Smith. Did you see that? It didn't. What, what distressed me, and I don't remember if we talked about this last week, but and, and it does have legal ramifications, was Trump's Veterans Day speech in which he threatened to root out, and I'm quoting almost verbatim, communist, socialist, right-wing fascist, and other vermin. Vermin, yeah. Um, and this is this is a term that was used in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. You know, yeah. you, you dehumanize, you know, I'm, and I understand I'm not in favor of communists. Of course. I have a little, you know, or, or fascist. Um, but when you when you start putting people in this your categories rather than their own and dehumanize you know talking about them as as less than human you really create you know a bad situation and that that was sort of combined with speeches suggesting that we will have our revenge yes uh, if you vote for me we're going to get you know it, it's sort of a continuation of the locker up theme mm -hmm from the, you know, 2016 election. Right. Uh, and With this Hillary is, Clinton. You know, he, the, it's, it's a very peculiar dynamic because I can see how Trump's supporters would say the Justice Department has been weaponized against him. Sure. From my perspective, if they, if they were, they took a long time doing it, um, and they seem to be giving him legal due process. So I right. don't consider that to be what's happening here. But by by claiming that the Justice Department has been weaponized against him, it's basically this is going to be tit for tat. Yeah. Uh, if this is what they, you know, if they're coming after me, when we get in office, we're going to come after them. And that, yeah. you, you, you know, no, you, you expect, an, you know, attorney general is appointed by the president and the president's a member of a party. And you can hardly expect the attorney general to, I mean, the president to appoint someone he thinks is going to be a thorn right. in his side. But that being said, um, plenty of presidents have let attorney generals continue with actions that have not been particularly favorable to them because they did accept, you know, the laws, you know, the, the depiction of justice is justice has a, a blindfold around her eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not supposed to have, you know, special favor toward one side or the other. And I, I, yeah. I fear that, that that he's really contributing to this attitude of the law as an instrument, you know, instrument to oppress or get back rather than an instrument to, you know, decide, determine justice. I agree. And with with those words, I, I agree. It's very concerning. And we've even got the words where most many of his comments are to say that racist so and so. 
you know, and names the the attorney yeah. in Georgia a racist. Now the attorney in the New York fraud case, he's named a racist. And then add we- that together with rigors and, and we're instituting base dehumanization, this base almost rejection of an entire class based on phraseology that you would use, you know, on the playground, like you don't have any, you know, they're meanies. Or Let me use, come up with you know, bad words. During World War II, mm-hmm. people call, you referred to Japanese, you know, with a, with a shorter, you know, people did this for African Americans at one time. Yeah. And the, the results are never good. No. Uh, well, it even reminds yeah. me, and I don't know, I, here I am with poor history recall. Was it Rwanda where it was the, yes, the one side, it was, you know, the cockroaches. They called them cockroaches. Yes. yes. And over the air, day after day, the radio speakers were going with, you know, right. we got to kill all the cockroaches. We got to step on them. We've got to weed them well, out. And this, this exa- you know, exactly what happened in Germany. You mm-hmm. you. you you pick out the Jews and then you attribute everything that has ever gone wrong to Jews. And the next thing you know, uh, they're in concentration camps. Right. So, you, you know, you, you mentioned the the language and this maybe make a good transition to mm-hmm. Congress. Sure. So this last week. Now, it's not altogether new. And I, I told you I was going to do this, uh, but <laughs> we got to talk about something that happened on May 26th of 1856. Yes. And Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina was upset that Charles Sumner, a fellow senator from Massachusetts, had accused one of his relatives, if I recall, of basically having a mistress, an ugly mistress that was beautiful only to himself. (laughs) And the mistress, the mistress was slavery. Oh, and so, no. So it was highly inflammatory. You know, Sumner had oh, used highly inflammatory language. But remember, particularly the Southern culture at this oh, time was wow. what's, what's known as an honor culture. Mm-hmm. Now, in an ordinary circumstance, if he had directed this directly to Preston Brooks, the Southern code would have called for each of them to get a, a pistol and go out somewhere. <laughs> the and, duel, and yeah. And have a duel. <laughs> but because... Oh, Brooks did not consider Sumner uh, to be a gentleman. He decided instead to sneak up on him with his cane uh, and begin beating him in the head Um, and resulted actually in serious injury to Sumner that I think was with him for most of the rest of his life. Um, And we haven't, the good news is we're not there yet, but this last week we had at least three incidents uh, which seem to indicate that tempers are very frayed. Yes. And, of course, what we already know, which is that Congress is very, very closely divided between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, legislation, of course, requires both houses of Congress and either a presidential signature or, you know, voting over his, over, over the veto. This, yeah. the, over a veto. And three incidents, I guess the funniest, and the one that I think I would have turned around, one of the senators or members of Congress referred to a witness as a smurf. And, oh, no. you know, re- remembering remembering my own daughter's love for smurfs, I probably would have taken that as a compliment, but I don't think it was meant as a compliment. No. And then, <laughs> then of course, we have the 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 two Republicans, um, Kevin McCarthy and right. 
Uh, I should Senate, know right? He, uh, pardon? The leader the of the Senate. Senate. Yeah. No, no. This is the House. Oh, sorry. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker. Uh, oh, that's right. I'm so sorry. I don't know that we have film of it, but there seems to be confirmation that he elbowed uh, a Tennessee uh, Republican in the kidneys. And they had a dispute as to, you know, whether this was chicken or, you know, what kind of behavior this showed and how pitiful it was and whatever. So we had that that little exchange. And then let's see what was the oh, the other was we had a Senate hearing in which a senator who apparently had been provoked by a labor leader who sent a number of missives out uh, referring to him in derogatory terms. He stood up and said, you indicated you wanted to have this out. Let's do it now. Um, Oh, my goodness. And, you know, the witness said, bring it on. (laughs) And uh, Bernie Sanders is there hitting his hammer down. (laughs) You know, trying to <laughs> trying to keep you know ninety year old, however oh, no. old he is, you know, trying to keep order. It was fairly funny, wow. if it were not behavior being engaged in by the US leaders Senate of our country and, and a labor and a labor leader mm-hmm. as well. I mean, uh, I, I'm not going to excuse either one of them for the behavior, but it, it really shows how fragile we are, and you know, it, it's not a good sign going into the next presidential election uh you know it's well it we, our local newspaper not local tennessee and comes out of nashville has had a series of attempts through the last year or two you know try to publish articles on civility and mm. the need for civility and one of the fascinating things about this was until the proposed fist fight there were many people who were doing what I had done, which, you know, political scientists, the House is bigger. It's closer to the people. They have two-year terms. Right. They don't have to be quite as old. And you sort of expect that the House is going to be a little bit more unruly than the smaller, more elite, longer-term, somewhat older exactly. members of the Senate. But it looks like it's happened now in both houses. Uh, and so hopefully people will step back a little bit and say, you know, the dignity of my office prevents me from responding in an appropriate fashion to what you have just said. Right. Uh, but, you know, I would ask you to refrain from name calling and, you know, let's let's discuss this in as reasonable a fashion as we can. Yeah. But, you know, there we sort of hinted at this when you talked about the, the the Georgia attorneys, there are laws that have penalties, mm-hmm. but there are also norms. Right. And often the norms, which are not necessarily codified and are not necessarily physically enforced, right. are sometimes more important. You know, character, you know, how we treat one another mm-hmm. may be far more important than what the law, to, you know, a law against murder, okay, it'll provide penalty for somebody who kills me, but I'd like some other laws. You know, I'd prefer people not spit at me as, as I go down the street. Right. I don't know if that's against the law or not. Maybe it is. It might be a form of assault uh, or battery. But, but nonetheless, even if there weren't, I would prefer to be in a society where that's just something particularly ladies and gentlemen would not do. Right. You know, you might expect it. 
that it, it's fascinating how many how many comparisons there have been to high school behavior. And then yes. commentators have said, well, this is, you know, we've we've now descended from high school to junior high. <laughs> if, if not preschool. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, thinking of the, the jungle gyms and the playgrounds. It's like, I know you are, but what am I? The, you know, yeah. I know I am, but what are you? Whatever it is, it just, it feels like there's so much just name calling and offensiveness toward other people. And, you know, I don't. I don't always like to, as as much as this is a legal program that talks about politics because they're in the law right now, um, I try not to express too many specific personal opinions. But I have to say, with regard to civility, I think my own respect level would have been higher for Trump had he, you know, Mm -hmm. whether the election was rigged or not, had he been able to say, you know what, I think it was rigged. I don't think it was right. I don't think it was fair. But you know what? That's okay. We're going to accept it. And we're going to use the next four years to build us up stronger and better than ever before so we can win the next election. So what what is the expression, the fish rots from the head down? Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard that. that. Effect, which is, I, I do think that more than any contemporary president, Trump as president really lowered the bar for acceptable name-calling behavior and right. the like. And I think, you know, I, I think it is, it has, well, worked its way down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, we're even, and I'll, and I'll circle this back real quick, is the the call through one person who he reposted on his media platform this last week of, you know, there should be a citizen's arrest of these two attorneys, and the idea of Trump reposting that and the idea of his, you know, people who are really believe in him would go out and try to do a citizen's arrest of these people is quite scary. You it know, is. so many things go wrong with any kind of citizen's arrest. It needs its own little podcast. It's such a weird, weird, you know, piece of the law. But the idea for calling for that at all and well, having and a citizen, people believe I mean, that. I think a citizen's arrest, you, you'll know the law better than I do, but it, it's usually like in a situation of imminent danger, yes. right? Or, I, I mean, you, it, it's not this person's, you know, needs arresting because they're in, <laughs> Correct, have the wrong it's, opinion. It, it's, it is an idea where citizens' arrest can be, occur when there is a true belief and understanding that a law has been violated, that they have, right. you know, broken the law in some way. And what the allegation is, is these people have broken, you know, not just gone after Trump, but broken the law in some way. So they need to be arrested. No one within the government is doing so. So we as citizens now need to rise up and do it. Um, and that is a very scary proposition, considering there have been death threats to various prosecutors and judges as a result of decisions that have been made. So it's just, for me, a call to peace, um, peace sure. and civility. And, you know, no matter what we think our opinions are of other people, ultimately they're, they're people too. Well, and, and here here's why we have this behavior. Part of it, maybe it's the Trump influence, maybe it's, you know, the character of the times. Right. But part of what's happening is most of these people are getting publicity. Yeah. And they're spelling their names right. And a year from now, we're not going to remember what the event was. We're going to remember, well, you know, my member of Congress has been in the news a lot. 
Yeah. He must be really influential. And again, we've I've used this term before. We got a lot more show horses than we do workhorses. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm fairly suspicious of anybody who appears on television once a week or so, <laughs> like this podcast. <laughs> but I'm suspicious you, you know, too. But, <laughs> but, but always for some other sort of provocative thing <laughs> that they've done. The the provocateurs they're getting attention for the sake of attention rather than apparently for the sake of adopting legislation or serving right. their constituents. Well, I have to I have to tell a story, and then then we're gonna um, pick up the Supreme Court ethics, and then yes. a final update on the Fourteenth Amendment issue. But here's my fun story that I've been thinking about all week with this, you know, filing this mistrial motion, all of the antics that are going on, the the <laughs> soliloquies in the courtroom, the support and the, the, the spectacular. Um, news on Donald Trump. I, I think back to when I was a prosecutor in Newport News, Virginia, and there was this one defense attorney who I, I loved him. He was absolutely great, but he was a show horse. He looked like the Monopoly man purposely. Um, so people would know who he was, would recognize him immediately. He wore the gray pinstriped suits. He had the mustache and the beard. Um, lovely gentleman. He and I became great friends, but he really would put on a show in the courtroom. And that's why defendants liked him and hired him is because he yeah. was, you know, extravagant and extraordinary. And it looked like he was doing everything he could to help the defendants. And for the most part, I agree that he was. He was a great attorney. But I had a trial with him um, once where it was a bench trial, not a jury trial. And he was there, you know, waving his arms and being boisterous and, you know, this amazing speech that anyone from the hallway could hear. <laughs> and the judge, I'll never forget, looked at him and said, you know, I won't use his name, but, you know, Mr. Attorney, would you like for me to lower and dim the lights for you now? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll That's never good. forget. It was hilarious. That's good. Um, and, you know, the man was, of course, saying, are, are you saying that I'm not being serious? And he's like, no, I just want to get you the, the lighting that you need. Oh, my gosh, it was so funny. I wish I could have had a record of it. Um, but that's kind of how I feel with this trial is, you know, let's dim the lights and put and, a And put there's a, spotlight. a case where maybe that behavior didn't work. It is. Because, if I, you know, if I were mm -hmm. the judge, if, if you try to responding kind, you would have been unlikely to be able to put on the same kind of show. Absolutely. But the lack of a show could actually contribute to the judge thinking one side's taking it seriously and the other is not. Yeah. And I mean, so we th won. These, these behaviors can, can backfire. Right. I, I agree. So, so speaking of behaviors and pretty poor behaviors, we know that there have been issues with especially Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court this year. Um, oh, what is it, Roberts? Who's the other one that it's come Alito. up with? Alito. Okay. Um, I'm just so focused on Thomas because it, yeah. it does seem shocking, the behaviors that he's done, especially with regard to receiving gifts, um, for using gifts, for getting a lot and, of money. And a lot of it has to do, I'm not so much sure that it has to do with receiving gifts, although that's part of it as, as, as it does with concealing Right, with not disclosing it. Right, the, the failure to disclose. And, you know, there's there's an implicit, when I know somebody has purposely hidden something, 
that leads me to believe that they realize that maybe it wasn't quite up to snuff when they did it. Right. Uh, and it so has been concerning. He, and in, in fairness to Thomas and, and Alito, the rules have been, well, there's really not been a form, as I understand right. it, there's not a formal, co- has not been a formal code for the justices right. in the same manner there have for other judges. And, you know, the, the typical standard, which is mentioned, by the way, in, in this statement that they came out with, the typical standard for a judge is far and above that that you would require for a senator or representative, thank God. Or even a regular attorney. Right, which is, it's not just you have to avoid wrongdoing, you have to avoid the very appearance of wrongdoing. Yeah, the appearance and the of appearances right now, it, it appears as though, particularly Thomas has accepted a lot of very big gifts from some very wealthy people, I don't think there's been an allegation that the, that the people who've given him large gifts have necessarily been defendants before him. Right. And so that gives him a little bit of leeway here. But but it's still, you know, it, if if we knew that a member of Congress was receiving gifts mm-hmm. and then having to vote on matters that even indirectly related to somebody who gave the gifts, it would, you know, we worry about campaign finances. Right. And that's not a direct, typically not a direct gift to the candidate, right? Uh, you know, it goes in, goes into a to a for, for a particular cause. It smells like a bribe, and it's it, not it, it legally. Does. It's not, but it, it smells of it. It feels of it. Um, so I, I'm glad somebody's doing something about it. Congress has wanted to, and the Supreme Court yeah. has rejected that idea. But they have well come no, up with be, their own. Well. To stop there, I, mm-hmm. some members of the court, Alito in particular, has said that he doesn't believe Congress can adopt right. an ethics code for the court. I, I'm not as confident that they can't. I mean, I, I I don't know why they would not be able to adopt a code if they wanted to. And I think the court would be very wise in such a case to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not be judges in their own case, which is what they would would be. Right. But no, but probably to preempt the possibility, all members of the court, by the way, signed on to this statement, uh, a, a code of conduct, which is great. Well, it's we've great never had it paper. before. Yeah, it is yeah. great on paper. Yeah, I mean, th- there there are many of the principles there about disclosure and gift giving and. Uh, they exempt books, by the way, which any scholar has to like. And, and frankly, Wonderful. most justices, you know, what justice has ever written a book that at least 10,000 people didn't buy it just to see, you know, right. if, if nothing else, lawyers who might appear before them. So mm-hmm. they got they have a good way to, to, to raise money. But here's the problem. So I want to go back to I told you I was going to do this, right? Yes. John Locke. John Locke, one of the greatest English philosophers, believed to be one of the most important influences on America's founding fathers. And especially even the Declaration of Independence. Well, there's surprise that the the traditional view, yes, is Mm -hmm. that the Declaration of Independence reflects what's known as Lockean natural right philosophy. There are, ever since Gary Wells wrote a book in about 50 years ago, arguing that uh, Scottish common sense philosophy also played a a pretty Mm. big part in in that. But in any event, uh, 
John Locke wrote two treatises of government, among other okay. things. And in his second treatise, he described what we call is a sort of a theoretical construct, a state of nature. What would life be like if we had no government? Mm. Um, and you, you know that this was before him. There was a, an English philosopher named Thomas Hobbes right. who concluded that in the state of nature, the life of mankind would be solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. And Locke comes along and he says, well, it's not quite that bad. It's not that bad. Uh, you'd still have, people would still have some moral intuitions. Uh, we'd still know, you know, we're all God's creatures, so we'd know right. generally right from wrong. Uh, but he said it would still be an inconvenience to be in the state of nature. And he, mm. he gave three reasons that we would want to get out of a lawless state. And they are that, let's see, the lack of a known and settled law. Mm. So, yeah, we'd have some, you know, natural law, but as we know, people interpret natural law differently. So, right. lack of a known and settled law, this seems to sort of get to that. Okay, we're, we're now giving our standards. But what it lacks is the two other deficiencies. One is the lack of a known and impartial judge to settle disputes. And the third is the lack of a power to back and support the decisions of law. So we have a code the that issue. the justices say we're going to follow. And yeah. in my judgment, it's better than the press is giving it. Uh, I, I mean, th there's some good things in here. I agree. But we don't know. The, the court, for example, seems to say recusal is still up to the individual justice. And they actually give some they give some arguments for it, which is if the rest of the court could decide to recuse somebody, they might gang up in order to help their side. Oh, interesting. But, you know, they don't really, they don't really tell us who can you go to to find out, you know, if you didn't know whether accepting this gift was appropriate or not, who would you go to to find out? And they don't specify. Who to and interpret it and who to enforce it. Right. What would the penalty be? Who's going to enforce it? So it's sort of like we've remained, we've had one of three elements needed to get out of the state of nature. And so we will see now the one possibility that I've thought about, but I'm not sure how it would work out. It's possible that you could enforce it by impeachment. Oh, interesting. You could say, you could say, and all nine justices have signed this thing. All of them have agreed to a code of conduct, and having agreed to the conduct, we believe X justice failed to do it. Now, the question is, well, it might be bribery, wouldn't be treason, but would that be a high crime or high misdemeanor? Crime. Right. To violate something that you've agreed to do, but that isn't otherwise legally enforceable. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't know, seem like a crime or a misdemeanor because it's not breaking right. of a law. Right. Plus which, we've only had, ah, test your knowledge. Okay. Who's the only Supreme Court justice who was ever formally impeached? I do not know. Samuel Chase happened during the uh, huh. Jefferson administration. You ought to remember that. I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> now oh, I yeah. remember from personal experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were there. You tell me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
but he was, you know, he was, in, now there have been, there, to be clear, there have been other lower federal judges who have been impeached and convicted and removed from office. Chase was impeached, but not convicted. Sure. And no other Supreme, and there have been threatened impeachments against William O. Douglas, uh, Earl Warren, and others, mm. but none of her succeeded. So I don't know. I mean, I, th I think it is a, a worthy first step, but it's still sort of, you know, it's, yeah, it's the Supreme Court, but it's like saying the president is above the law because he's the president. Just because you're the Supreme Court, okay, maybe you have a little bit different rules, and right. I don't know who should enforce it, but there ought to be something with a little bit more teeth on it in it than this seems to have. Yeah, fair enough. No, I I, I agree. I I think it's I think it's a good step, but in the end, it feels meaningless. Um, and, and part and of is it is retroactive. That's the other question: is if it if somebody chooses to try to enforce it. Is it re retroactive where even, you know, Alito or Thomas's behaviors could be looked at in terms of this new document and then an impeachment yeah, attempted? It, it, it's sort of it's sort of like, you know, what what is I'm trying to get the expression. The, the, the gates already open and the horses are out of the barn. Oh, right. The horse is already uh, out of the barn. Maybe it mm -hmm. would stop future. But does it allay? Does it allay concerns about? you know, current justices. Current and past, And, yeah. and again, I, what worries me about it, I don't necessarily think that Thomas or Alito have flouted the law, but they seem to have not had sufficient attention to the institution that they're representing. And the institution is far more important to me than this or that individual justice. And, Absolutely. You know, they're, they're potentially, even if it's not wrong, if it has the appearance of evil, then it's undermining the authority that they yes. need to enforce the law in other areas. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I know you have one more thing about, I, I believe, the amendments in a book. Oh, um, yeah. And then we're going to finish up with the, the 14th Amendment trials. Yeah, I, I know the, the oh, <laughs> The reading public. And is that visible? It's okay. So I have to look down to look at it. Hold up just one. Oh, there. It's a little bit. Yeah, I know. You've got the blurred background. That's a little better. The picture's a little better. It's a two volume work. That's what nice. I want people to know. Fifth edition of my Encyclopedia of Constitutional Amendments, Proposed Amendments, and Amending Issues, 1789 to 2023. Amazing. By Bloomsbury. Okay. Uh, all my presses keep buying one another out. It used to be ABC Clio. Uh, now it's Bloomsbury. Tomorrow, does who knows? ABC Clio not exist anymore? It does, but this particular they divide it. They do different divisions, and yeah, interesting. Because I've grown, I you don't. know, growing up with you, all I saw was ABC Clio everywhere. Well, I did a lot with Prager and other uh, Roman and Littlefield, other publishers too, but. Go with the flow. They did a good job with it. I like every everyone so far has had the Capitol building, but each has had a somewhat different picture. So that's good. 
Well, I love it. And everybody check out, we are um, putting links to the biographies for um, Dr. Vile, his curriculum vitae with Middle Tennessee State University, where you can actually see many of the books that have been published and the, the books and works he's contributed to. Um, we're also putting a link for me and then for our other co-host, Chelsea, who's on with us every once in a while. Uh, so you can check out the newest books. You can check out our biographies, see a little bit about us. And then let Let's finish it up with the 14th Amendment. You and I have been doing this mm-hmm. um, for a number of months now with this. We got on it like a week or two after the first article was published. So. Uh, we were. We were on it like a hot cake. Hot cakes, I don't know. That n- other no. expression. <laughs> <laughs> we a were. on a dog or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm glad we were because I think we have been at the forefront. Sorry about that. Been at the forefront of this issue and have been following it very closely. And this is um, as a quick update for and and summary for those of you who may not know, is there's section three of the Fourteenth Amendment, um, which basically says that you cannot hold office if you have been a supporter of insurrection or rebellion, or if you have given aid or comfort to people who have engaged in insurrection and rebellion. Read it for yourself. The Constitution is actually quite interesting reading. Um, but the idea, yeah, it's you know it's on my bedside with the Bible, right? <laughs> ah, Justice Harlan. Do you know that story? No. Justice John Marshall Harlan the first from Kentucky was said to go to bed to sleep peacefully every night with a copy of the Constitution and the Bible under his pillow. I love it. All you yeah. need. You know, all you need. So so there's this idea that was first published um, by some law professors and then um, also confirmed or affirmed or supported by another law professor and a former judge. And it's really sparked some interest as to whether Trump can be said to have done engaged in insurrection or rebellion or and or supported and give an aid to those who have. It has ended up in court where we predicted. Um, we're still predicting that it's going to end up in the Supreme Court. But two states, Minnesota and Michigan, this last week have decided essentially that it's a political question. The timing's not right. We don't have authority to make a decision as to whether this this statute, so to speak, this this clause and provision can prevent Trump from being on the ballot. This is too early. Um, The time is not ripe. It appears to be a political question. But Dr. Vile, you had an interesting um, theory on it that I I like and I would like for you to to expand on for, for our listeners is the idea that even though it's not yet ripe, when people say it might be ripe for review may be too late. Right. I mean, the and one of the things actually that Trump has argued, as I understand it, is if this is to be decided, it should be decided after the election. Um, and that, in some ways, would be the absolute worst time. Right. Because, you know, if you think back to Bush versus Gore and, you know, there's still very divided opinions on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my own opinion is it probably would have ended the same way, even if the court hadn't intervened. Um, I'm not sure that's a majority opinion. Right. But however that may be, to say what 
what kind of court would want to step in if, in fact, let's say Trump were to win both the election, both the Electoral College and the popular vote? What court is going to step in after the American people have voted and say, and he's in. Oh, but he had no business being on the ballot, so we're going to invalidate it. So right. I, I I suspect now, and, and then I want to modify something you said because I'm not Please. sure. I'm not sure that I think this will ever get to the Supreme Court. Oh, interesting. It, so if, you're changing I mean, your mind. To t- well, particularly if it gets postponed, it would only come up if Trump were to win the election. Mm, okay. And I think I personally think that's problematic. He has he has yet to win the national popular vote in two elections. He looks up in the polls right now, but mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a year before. We don't know for sure that he's going to get the nomination, nor do we know for sure uh, that Joe Biden is going to be running again. Right. So, you know, there's a possibility it would get to the court, but I, I think the court would have, I think they would have greater reluctance to intervene after the election than they would if one of these cases came up to them right now. Right. This would give people due notice in a way that, because think about it, okay, if you disqualified, let's say Trump were elected, legitimately mm-hmm. elected, and he were then disqualified, right? who would then be president? I'm assuming that his vice president, who is yet to be named, uh, probably not going to be Mike Pence, <laughs> right? you know, he would take over, but how many people you know, really want the vice president to be president. If, if they had wanted him, they would have nominated him as president rather than. So I think it's high. I think if that, I think in January, it would almost surely be declared a a, a political question. Yeah. Uh, and, and I believe we have another state or two to go. Yes. You know, if, right. If he is excluded, let's say from the Colorado or Arizona ballots, then I think there would be a good chance, and I think that would be the time, particularly, well, maybe particularly given what's happened, if you have, right. you, because you would essentially have divided circuits, right? Or, yes, or, a split or divided circuit distance, opinion. Because we've had one or two, and I don't know if it's at circuit court level yet, not but yet. we've had one or two courts who've, who've declared we're not going to intervene because we don't think it's appropriate. If two, If one or two other courts ruled in the other direction, then it might be time for the court. I would actually prefer them to come in then. Yeah. Although, again, it could be misinterpreted, right? The court, I'm sure if the court said, we consider this a political question, Trump would immediately say, I've been vindicated by the Supreme Court. It would go sort of like the Mueller report. You Uh know, the Mueller report didn't indict me, so therefore I must be innocent, which would not, you know, necessarily be true at all but that would be potentially how how it would be interpreted yeah no no i agree with that and it's it's definitely something to watch it's still in colorado so minnesota and michigan said no um you you're right in colorado and arizona we're still waiting now this one's being published on thursday night so wednesday was the conclusion of that trial um for the amendment issue 
it may come out before our podcast is published, in which case, you know, it's still, I think our opinions are still interesting, but it's wait and see. And hopefully we'll update you next week on what happens in Colorado and possibly Arizona. But Colorado is close. They they closed their case in on Wednesday. One of the fascinating aspects of this is it it shows the difficulty of constitutional interpretation. Yeah. Because the words seem pretty clear, but we know the immediate intent was to prevent people who had sided with the Confederacy exactly. from reestablishing themselves in office and reinstituting, if not slavery, into the Black Codes and some of the other repressive legislation at the time. So you have something of a conflict between what the plain words seem to say Mm -hmm. and maybe what the original intent was, although maybe they were farsighted enough to say, well, the Civil War won't be the only time in history where people challenge legitimate government and this should, you know, this should apply now and forever. Right. We still have treason laws. They're still used. Well, absolutely. Um, Even recently within the military, um, some, some concerning patterns there. Yes. But all right. Well, thank you for uh, for talking with me today. Very, very excited about all of these topics. Very interested in all of these topics. And can we say one other thing? Please do. I mean, Thanksgiving, right? Yes. So we are thankful to live in America. Yes. We're thankful for family and friends and country and constitution. Um, I had this wonderful jug at home that you probably know. King and Constitution. Well, we don't have a king, uh, but not officially. It's it's right. <laughs> it, it's nice. It's nice to be in a country where, at least for now, we can discuss these things and do it in a in a civil fashion. Yeah. Uh, maybe you know Turkey's supposed to make you sleepy, right? Supposedly. Maybe the best thing that could happen is maybe we should have this giant turkey feast for members of Congress. <laughs> And see it, you know, force feed them if needed, <laughs> hoping that it will somewhat lower the tone. Uh, everybody fall asleep instead of threatening to fist fight one another. You know, I'd, I'd fight you, but I'm just too tired. Don't feel like it. <laughs> Don't save the, the Thanksgiving turkey. He's got to be sacrificed for Congress. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll do that. And that reminds me, thank you, that um, we will not have a podcast coming out next week for Thanksgiving. We are going to take some time off to be with friends and family. We hope that you are too. So happy Thanksgiving. Um, keep We'll keep you updated, possibly even on social media. So check us out if you haven't already at The Law Unscripted. We're on YouTube. We're on, um, we're on TikTok even. You can even find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, stay for updates for those things, even when we aren't videoing, and we will get back to you the first week of December. Thank you, Dr. Vile, and happy, happy hour and Thanksgiving to all of you.